0: i mm.
1: those dyslexic guys broadcasting from lockdown. Uh, I'm Kailash. I'm Pranav. So uh, our guest today is uh, Professor Prateep Malik uh, from Azim Pranji University. And we're going to talk to him about the state of uh, education and how uh, it's been him taking classes during the lockdown and how it's the lockdown itself has affected um, his day-to-day life. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Kailash. Thanks, Pranav. Happy to be on. Can you give us a few lines
0: about who you are, what do you do, and how does lockdown has directly affected you? Sure. So I'm a physics faculty at Azim Premji University, and uh, we have an undergraduate program in physics. Apart from many other things, uh, obviously, I could do a plug for the whole program, but I think University.edu.in will give you all the information. Uh, so my background is in physics, and I uh, studied physics at the undergraduate level and at the graduate level, um, and uh, basically studied optics. I specialized in optics.
1: What made you want to go into that specialization, as such?
2: What do you mean by optics? For someone who doesn't know, what do you mean by optics in terms of physics? Is it lenses? Yeah, that's, so it's kind of what it's lenses. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: So
0: maybe I'll I'll tell you some, sort of my motivation as I remember it, mm-hmm. because it's start, kind of the interest started as you know a childhood interest. So my parents are astronomers, and uh, so that clearly got me very interested in astronomy, telescopes, the stars, and so on. So at home, our uh, dinner table discussions would be those kinds of things, right, which Mm -hmm. I would imagine is slightly different from many other families. Uh, And uh, so then I decided that definitely I want to study physics. I didn't know whether I want to do astronomy or optics or what it was, but I wanted to study physics. And... I always found optics, see, physics is actually a very, at least to me, it's a very visual kind of uh, science. You see physics all around you. And of the, you know, uh, visual kind of areas of physics, optics is one that is especially so. Because, I mean, just simple things like uh, looking at the blue sky or looking at stars or looking at uh, a rainbow, looking at oil films on water, Uh, you know looking at lights whatever it is you you see basically optics is the study of light so you see phenomena related to light everywhere and I think uh, while I was studying undergraduate physics uh, my my final year I took a year-long course in optics and uh, that really spurred my interest because I was able to connect these very interesting theories in optics and physics to all these very interesting phenomena that you see around you and uh, kind of stud i kind of decided that you know i want to do something in optics uh, and primarily i actually want to do something with telescopes you know these telescopes are an amazing optical device or instrument very simple but A lot of cutting-edge physics, astronomy, semiconductors, mechanics, whatever, engineering. So many things are driven by the desire for humans to build bigger and better telescopes. So I kind of wanted to get into that uh, area. And uh, yeah, so in graduate school, I worked on a lot of projects to do with uh, optics for telescopes. And uh, yeah, and then after that, I I did, I realized I don't want to be a traditional academic, at least not initially. So I went and worked in the industry for, uh, you know, about six years, uh, working in areas where we were designing lenses, designing optical systems, uh, imaging. Things like that, and uh, related to biotechnology and semiconductors. So I mean, Pranav was asking, what are the, uh, what, you know, what is optics? Is it a very niche field? Uh, it it is niche in the sense that, uh, uh, yeah, it can get a, it can get pretty complex, and it's uh, highly driven by technology. But the thing is that optics is there everywhere. So right now. Uh, the three of us are probably looking at some form of display, right? I'm looking at my computer display. You guys are probably looking at your computer or mobile displays.
1: Yeah, the listeners are probably listening to this on their phones and looking at a display. Exactly.
0: So those displays, right? There's a lot of optics in it. How do you backlight and back illuminate a display? Uh, How do you get these beautiful colors? So each of these pixels on our display have uh, filters on them, RGB filters, and you pull in like... uh, Three or four of these filters to get you a white uh, and then uh, different amounts of these uh, or your know, different intensities of these of these primary colors will get you all the different shades of colors on your screen so uh, all of you uh, have you know when you buy a phone or something they will uh, say that oh this this screen is has this density of pixels and it has these AMO, L, AMO LED display or now it must be something else.
1: No, no, I think uh, it's still AMOLED. Uh, it's just... Some have IPS, right? IP, IPS some... is the LCD stuff, but uh, AMOLED, uh, just real quick, it stands for Active Matrix of Organic Light Emitting Diodes. Uh, so they are, uh, they are a technology, it's usually, uh, most of it is owned by Samsung. In fact, that Apple gets their AMOLED displays from Samsung, which is a weird... Uh, uh, uncomfortable deal that they have must have going because they're like the two major cell phone manufacturers. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I think they're still using AMOLED. It's just a different, uh, they have different marketing spins on it, reducing the thickness of the glass, bringing the display closer to the front of the screen, kind of that kind of stuff. Correct. So these AMOLED yeah.
0: displays, as you can tell, it's these organic LEDs. So, which means that there's now chemistry involved. These are not just simple semiconductor devices, mm-hmm. but some organic compounds that are put on a pretty much like a plastic sheet. And these organic uh, compounds are your pixels. And uh, so, so, yeah, so there's, so displays have a lot of optics. Uh, if you look at cars, for example, so automotive illumination, headlights, dashboards, uh, tail lamps. Now you get headlights that are completely mm-hmm. LED headlights or you have these projection lamps for uh, car headlights, the high-end cars have those. So that requires a lot of lens design to make sure that the light illuminates exactly the region that you want to illuminate and you aren't blinding oncoming uh, drivers, Uh, even within the cabins of aircraft. So, for example, uh, the 787, Boeing 787 aircraft, has huh? amazing lighting inside. In fact, I have uh, I have a few colleagues who worked on uh, those kinds of projects.
2: Wow, That's incredible. So huh?
0: and people spend hours and hours flying, right? So you want you want to have lighting that is pleasant, that will allow you to sleep, that will not mess up your circadian rhythm. Uh, you want uh, so the seven the 787 actually has these windows that don't have physical window shades, but they have uh, okay. the window shades can actually darken or lighten. Uh, Yeah, so they're obviously some sort of, uh, you know, uh, liquid crystal uh, embedded uh, windows there. And uh, so, you know, even designing the lighting within a cabin of uh, an aircraft has a lot of optics and a lot of uh, study there. Uh, Then obviously telescopes, uh, astronomy, imaging, any kind Mm -hmm. of thing that requires imaging. So mobile phones, I think Pranav talked about mobile phone cameras. Uh, are extremely sophisticated now there's a lot of software software behind uh, uh, behind it but also a lot of interesting optics the fact that a mobile phone can take pictures of such high quality is uh, you know no uh, no easy feat i mean it's it's really something that's incredible and uh, there's med- in medicine optics is used uh, tremendously for things like uh, laparoscopic surgery Now you have these endoscopes Mm -hmm. that have cameras fitted towards uh, fitted at the ends. Uh, You make a kind of a tiny hole in you know an incision in the body, and you send this whole laparoscope with the camera inside your body. And uh, the surgical tools.
1: There are even swallowable cameras. I mean, these have been around for some years.
0: Correct. So there's in the in the medical field, you know, medical imaging, surgery, uh, biomedical optics, uh, microscopes, where people are looking at increasingly small and small, smaller and smaller samples. Uh, you know, things like uh, the coronavirus, for example, if you want to image the coronavirus, the viruses are very, very small. So you need high, mm-hmm. high resolution microscopes. If you want to uh, mm-hmm. sequence the RNA of uh, this virus, then a lot of the techniques that are used are actually optical. Uh, you kind of uh, are looking at how these uh, nucleotides are, uh, you know, how how, how the nucleotide chains form on an RNA. And there are optical techniques to to do that, Uh, tagging these RNAs with fluorophores and then looking at uh, which fluorophores are where. That will tell you which nucleotides and then you can kind of figure out the whole RNA sequence.
1: Just to clarify, a fluorophore, uh, from my understanding, is a compound that uh, latches onto a particular bit of RNA and then when you blast it with light, it glows, basically, right? Okay. Exactly. exactly. So if
0: you think about, yeah, you think about the RNA that has, let's say, four nucleotides, you know, the ATCG uh, that many of you would have seen on a a DNA. Uh, If you tag each one with a different kind of fluorophore and then you have you blast it with light based on which fluorophore lights up, you can tell which uh, of these nucleotides uh, that fluorophore was attached to. Okay. so then you can kind of figure out the whole sequence of the RNA. Um, and i'm sure those are the kinds of techniques that are now used to quickly sequence some you know a virus like the coronavirus Uh, and a lot of this information comes from comes from you know optical imaging and uh, microscopy and things like that so yeah i mean optics is a very very vast field and pretty much any you know pretty much every industry uh, or high-tech industry is using optics uh, at some level or the other.
2: So when you're talking about telescopes, you think because of the, I have a friend who has a telescope and he loves going up on his roof and he was telling me that this lockdown is an incredible chance for, because of the lack of light pollution and general pollution, you can see it stars much clearer even from in the city.
0: Yeah, absolutely true. In fact,
2: Wow, it's uh,
1: actually affected the seeing in Bangalore.
0: Yeah, it's affected the scene tremendously it's now the skies are as good as they were in my childhood and i'm talking about my childhood which was 30 years ago wow so i haven't seen skies like this in bangalore in in the last 30 years
2: do you do you still go on your terrace with a telescope or just take a minute out a day
0: yeah 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 so i yeah so i go up there i take my kids up there we don't Hmm. have a telescope here but i have binoculars so we take the binoculars out and we've been looking at uh, you know you can see Orion Nebula with your naked eye, uh, and wow. and many more stars that uh, you can see now than you could uh, you know just like three or four months ago, that's and wow. or even even a month and a half ago, and it's and that's completely not due to light pollution so much, but uh, due to just the particulate matter. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. I mean, it's related to light in the sense that you have pollution and then you have uh, light and light scatters off this these pollution particles. And it causes this kind of glow, background glow of the sky. And that glow is just not there. Even though people are using lights as much as they were using before, there just aren't enough particles to scatter that light to cause, uh, uh, you know, this poor night sky that these cities nowadays wow. have. So is that particular matter
2: because of pollution or because of construction or all of the above just movement of vehicles up and
0: down? All of the above. So exhaust, construction, dust, just humans moving around will cause, will kick up dust in the air, right? So just uh, all of that, all kinds of human activity will kick up dust. And obviously there's a lot of, and pollution and aerosols and things like that from vehicular pollution and industries. So... Yeah so the night sky is incredible right now and uh, I would urge people who who can to go out there and just look at the night sky because uh, you may not see night skies like this for much longer at least not in the that's
1: cities not, That's that's uh, that's a really interesting consequence of really all of this I did not think It's very sentimental Yeah,
0: sentimental. yeah that... it is actually I mean it's an it's uh, it's a fortunate consequence yeah. but then when you see the kind of misery that many yeah. others yeah. are going through you feel a little you feel like okay this is a very selfish and uh, kind of a, a concern i mean we're all enjoying i at least i'm enjoying these night yeah. skies but it is it's coming at a tremendous yeah. cost
1: it's kind of an accidental byproduct kind of, of all accident. of this stuff. So. Yes. exactly exactly yeah.
2: uh, so prateep how has
0: this lockdown directly
2: affected you as a professor as an enjoyer of night sky
0: <laughs> so as an enjoyer of night sky it has had good good benefits because uh, i get to see the night sky and Venus, uh, if uh, people actually look at the night sky, mm-hmm. uh, Venus has been uh, visible just after sunset. And really Venus, yeah, so after the sun and the moon, Venus is the third brightest thing in the sky. So people should, people will, can easily see Venus. But the thing is that uh, because the skies are so clear, Venus appears especially bright. And uh, it's really incredible. Uh, many people have contacted me saying, hey, what is that uh, bright <laughs> thing that I'm seeing right after sunset? And a couple of weeks ago, there was a conjunction of Moon and Venus. So right after sunset, you had Moon right next to Venus. And it was really an amazing sight. Uh, so so in that sense, I've kind of been enjoying, you know, kind of the night sky. In other ways, yeah, it's obviously changed life uh, quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, in terms of on the home front and on the personal front, uh, you know, kids are not going to school. Uh, Obviously, we appreciate our household help who is not coming home right now. So all the housework, uh, kind of engaging kids. Uh, My wife also works, so she's working from home. So kind of just juggling, you know, our work and kind of the home home life has been uh, challenging like it has been for, I think, everybody. Um, and on top of that, uh, we at Azim Premji University, uh, our semester hadn't yet gotten done. We had about six weeks left of the yeah. semester. And uh, yeah, and given kind of the the length of this crisis, I mean, I still don't see how anything will really reopen. Anything substantial will reopen on May third or whenever lockdown is supposed right. to
2: be. Yeah, especially uh, in a university <laughs> where social distancing
0: cannot be followed so strictly. A number exactly. of students
2: and staff right.
0: yeah. and ours yeah and ours is a completely residential program so uh, if uh, we bring students back they'll be living in the hostel in extremely close okay. quarters Sorry. so obviously we we cannot take any of those risks anytime okay. soon uh, So we decided to basically just uh, continue our semester through the online right. mode uh, like like many universities have done, uh, especially universities in the West, uh, obviously, it's it's a huge challenge because uh, one, in-person classes and online classes are completely different. The level of mm-hmm. interaction right. and so on. A uh, lot of my physics classes are lab-based. Oh, wow. So, that, yeah, that's an
1: additional wrinkle.
0: So, how are you able to do that? that how? Yeah, so obviously, I'm, I'm not able to do it. So, I, I cannot do the labs. There's no way that I can do the yeah. labs because the labs are something that students... I can show them simulations, I can show them pictures of what the lab setup is, but that's a a terrible way to do a lab. Uh, So, so yeah, so I've had to completely rejig my optics course that I'm teaching this semester, uh, hoping that eventually when campus reopens, I will still get a chance to do the labs with these students. Uh, informally yeah right so i'm not gonna yeah. i'm not basing any of my grading and assessment on the completion of those labs because i have no idea when we'll get to do those right. labs but at least the students get the experience of doing of the course. labs yeah. and yeah. feel like they've you know learned the practical aspects of optics and optical alignment and imaging and uh, yeah. things like that but right now it's uh, very hard actually to do the the courses on on uh, we're using zoom as a yeah. platform mm-hmm. uh it's i mean it's it's an adequate platform it, it it does the job but with 30 students uh also tuning into zoom I have no idea what the level of uh, engagement I, is so I have to constantly pause and ask students questions I have to kind of name students and say hey can you now tell me what this means or what you learned from this or do you have any right. doubts that takes a lot of time. So, in a one-hour class, I would say less than 50% of uh, the content that one would plan for in a typical in-person class gets covered. The other really important thing is uh, the fact that not everybody has equal access to the internet and uh, to a quiet, uh, you know, safe, uh, comfortable place in their homes where they can take these online classes. So, Uh, Many, many of our students, close to 30% of our students come from very uh, disadvantaged backgrounds from rural parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's remarkable. I mean, it's one thing that we have to kind of uh, pat ourselves on the back or pat, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, India on the back for giving everybody decent, a decent mobile service, right? So most people have 3G, 4G all over the country, even in very... Uh, remote yeah. places. And uh, so I have uh, students who are in very, very remote areas, sitting in Arunachal Pradesh, sitting in rural Telangana, uh, sitting in rural Bengal, uh, who are all able to kind of log into the Zoom platform and at least get good audio, if not uh, video. Okay. So they can hear me. And uh, sometimes I can screen share and they can see my screen if their video is working. Right. And Mm -hmm. I can give them notes in advance. Uh, They can check their email. They can uh, read those notes. So the level of communication, even in very impoverished uh, remote areas of India, has improved dramatically to allow Mm -hmm. classes like this to take place. But it's still not equitable in the sense of the kinds of connections that people have in cities is much better. And that affects uh, the learning outcomes as well, right? So people who are unable to follow a video lecture, uh, at the speed at which the lecture is actually happening uh, it's it's hard for them to then kind of go back and then revise the material and see a recording of that video or hear a recording of the audio and at that point you cannot ask your instructor questions because you're actually you know engaging with it in uh, as a recording so it's 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 very hard and it's i think learning outcomes are going to be very uh, diverse some students will manage just yeah. fine uh, some students will not learn as much as they would have learned in a, in an in-person class. Uh, and for me as an instructor, it's not particularly satisfactory because I really like, uh, you know, being face to face with students and doing demos, doing labs. Uh, you know, I'm constantly, I realize as a teacher, I'm constantly improvising. Yeah. So if a student asks asks a question about, uh, you know, what's a, what's a reflective material and what's a transmissive material? Uh, which is actually a a pretty complicated question because if you just look at a window pane, a window pane both transmits light and you can see a faint reflection, right? So, yeah, I mean, there's a 4% reflection coming from every clear piece of glass. If you just look at it, you will be able to see, you tilt it in a particular way, you'll be able to see your own reflection. So, uh, So I'm constantly, if a student asks a question like that, I'll constantly, I'll walk over to a window in our classroom and point at it and have students look at it. If you change the angle of that window pane, the reflection gets much stronger, right? Okay. Uh, that's something that you can yeah. try. That,
2: I am I'm looking at my helmet visor and I, I didn't even think of it from that point of view.
0: <laughs> yeah. So why is that happening? So that's those are kinds of things that uh, if a student asks a question or if that comes up while I'm giving a lecture, I'll be like, oh, there must be something around the classroom that I can just show them, mm-hmm. uh, show them this phenomenon. Uh, that's something that it's very hard to do in a video class. Um, uh, so it's, it's not ideal, but it's the, it's the new world, the age of Corona as people are <laughs> calling it, that we all live in. And, uh, we're kind of, uh, yeah, making do with it right now.
2: Those are some incredible points because in my generation and at least in my friends, we all think that, yeah, MOOCs are going to take over online classes. Everything is digital. You never stop to consider this might not be the best way to teach just because it's accessible. It might not be reliable or the best way to absorb information. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah,
2: correct. All that everyone is is privileged as us, or has the resources, or can study. Or cause I've taken a few. I've sat in some of the classes for my studies, and I noticed that half the time my mind starts wandering because I'm just sitting at home and just looking around at other people then what's actually happening. It's very hard to focus from a student's point of view, if it's hard for the
0: instructor. I can't imagine the outcomes. No, that's exactly right. Um, so it's it's very it's very very hard. I mean. A
1: small follow-up to that, like a corollary, is that, uh, you can correct me and tell me if this is wrong or not, but uh, see, uh, physics is pretty mathematics-heavy, and how easy is it to teach mathematics? Because it's not intuitive for everyone to begin with, correct? Like, unlike, uh, I would say, say literature or something like that. Literature, at least since we all speak the same language, we have some foundation uh, that you know, literature is intuitive to everyone. So you can just, uh, with an audio, you can basically pick up what they're trying to say with inflections and all of that stuff. Uh, but something like uh, mathematics or something is, is quite, you need uh, the visual uh, element of it, right? Right. So
0: it, precisely to address this issue um, and, you know, just to give any any of you a background, I mean, as when I was a student and I saw an instructor writing on the board, mm-hmm there is this suspense like what is she going to write next or what is he going to write next or they're deriving a formula and if you're a student who's paying attention, you're kind of looking at the board saying that, ah, Hmm? my guess is that the next line she is going to cancel these things out and, you know, do an integral and Hmm. I will get an answer like this. So uh, so for a student, actually, the the board work, uh, you know, your standard uh, chalk and board work, I think is super important it's very traditional and there is a reason that it's lasted for so many decades or centuries because there is that suspense that builds up when somebody's writing and you're trying to figure out for yourself what's next and there's a lot of learning in that uh, so so i realize that the video class that is something that will have to be addressed and i can i i'm unable to address it fully but what i do basically is that uh, i have a, a a whiteboard at home with uh, dry erase uh, markers mm-hmm. and i put that in front of the the computer and i when i'm uh, doing any kind of board work i i you know move the computer camera to look at the board yeah. so i'm actually still doing a little bit a fair amount of traditional yeah. you know board work yeah. so students can kind of see now that requires students to have good yeah. video Right. If the video cuts in and out and it's choppy, then it it Mm. defeats the purpose somewhat. But at least for the students who have decent video, I've been doing this uh, because it's good to good for students to see the process of solving a problem. Yeah. So if I just if if they see the whole Mm -hmm. problem on a sheet already written out, uh, you know, a PDF file or something like that, the effect is not the same as seeing me working it out in real time. Yeah. So very interesting. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, and a lot of us at Azim Premji University, we are very, uh, we think, we try and think about some of these pedagogical techniques. You know, why are we actually doing chalk and board? Why can't we go to an online mode?
2: Uh-huh.
0: And these are, there's a lot of educational theories behind some of the things that I'm, I'm saying. I'm not familiar with all of them. I just know them from, you know, kind of like a okay. qualitative uh, uh, description that I'm giving you. But there is a lot of value to slowly going and doing work pausing and asking a student, okay, what do you, what, you know, why do you come up to the board and, and write out the next step? Those are things that are very hard to do on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Zoom has a whiteboard feature. So uh, if you have a a touch sensitive monitor, you can actually use a a kind of a stylus and even write on your monitor, it will show up on the whiteboard. Uh, Or you can, you know, use your mouse and you can write stuff, but it's just not the same. Uh, it, it, uh, the quality is not great. It's hard to get uh, very good handwriting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so I, I, I use the whiteboard feature every now and then, especially if I'm just going to draw a quick diagram. If a student has a question, uh, then I can draw a picture and, and show that, show it on the whiteboard. But if it's a formula, if it's a problem that I'm solving, then I'll use the traditional whiteboard and dry erase marker. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, uh, as, uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy. Right.
2: I think this is a sentiment shared by many instructors because I watch most of my dance classes online now on Zoom and when I try to practice anything, I realize I don't remember anything as much as I was in the class with people around me and were in real time doing it. So it's interesting how, at least in my generation, we keep thinking, yeah, technology, internet, touchscreen, we can watch something. Maybe the truth is we won't learn as much and we're just fooling ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think, I really think video classes <clears throat> no way can compensate for Actual physical presence. I mean, they can they can be an enhancement. They can be a kind of mm-hmm. a complementary thing. But uh, I, it would be a shame if uh, robots and video classes took over uh, the education okay. system.
1: <laughs> you don't want the physics bot nine thousand teaching classes.
0: <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. Boston Dynamics better or enter?
1: Yeah, Boston Dynamics.
0: <laughs> a few weeks ago, actually, mm-hmm. before this whole lockdown. Uh, somebody sent me a video. Uh, one of these schools in Bangalore, I forget, one of these international schools, right. uh, actually, ha- they've uh, they've bought a robot <laughs> that actually assists in classroom teaching in Bangalore. Oh right my here. God! I yeah. am- what? I want to sit in on that class. Okay. okay. What does it What does the robot do? Hit them or like? So the robot basically mm-hmm. uh, will will uh, they, it, it, it you know projects. There's a slideshow, okay. and the robot will actually talk and explain the slide. And there is a there is a teacher there who, if there's a student question and stuff like that, then the teacher kind of, you know, complements what the robot is saying. But the robot is kind of the, pl- the primary teacher. And oh, okay. I, obviously it's being done on an experimental right. basis to see okay. if robots can take over some of the routine parts of teaching, which is talking through a slide and, yeah. mm-hmm. and saying some of the, you know, just the more rote yeah. things. But it's kind of crazy that they're doing this at a school in Bangalore, <laughs> uh, you know, with a robot. <laughs> you, you couldn't afford an iPod and
2: speakers <laughs> or like a mobile and speakers at this point. Because <laughs> if like I assume the robot's going around and monitoring the student's heartbeat and <laughs> trying to understand how much it's concentrating, not it's just not regurgitating. You know,
0: hey, actually the... So the robot actually, what it does is, is it actually will uh, pause when a student raises their oh, hand. Hell. Oh, okay, or, okay, that's or interesting. when a student, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has all those visual and audio uh, cues, which is uh-huh. so. Yeah. And uh, so, so in that sense, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it was kind of interesting and strange. Yeah, it
2: seems like series. a stretch. Like you're spending so much on a robot where. You know, yeah. so many teachers who are underpaid and...
1: It's an interesting application of AI for sure, because from a computation point is. of view, that it's nice that you could, uh, we have got good enough image recognition that we can see, we can make out that uh, one out of 40 students or something has raised their hands. That's actually pretty good.
2: Uh, Wait, so, so, I mean, just as a joke that, I mean, because students are, of course, very notorious and... We will always figure out what to do, what is easier on some level. Would they just like put a hand and slap it back down? So the robot just wonders what happens. Yeah. Quite interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can you can do that. The thing is that these robots don't have any affect, right? So you you cannot really anger that robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> students can students can misbehave in class, and the robot will still be very yeah. calm. And, yeah.
2: Uh, oh wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, personally, these online classes. Uh, the one you know, I, I should maybe mention one advantage mm. and this is very personal and I think many instructors will probably agree, which is that it has uh, allowed me to uh, take all my class notes and uh, con- and convert them into digital, digital form. So I've okay. been putting up all my notes, uh, writing them up on uh, LaTeX uh, and then sharing it in advance with my students. So now I have the whole, all my notes for the course, I kind of have them as a digital, you know, digital files. I'm I'm putting images, I can add videos, I can add links to various things. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I mean, so it's helped in organizing and putting it all up on a computer. Uh, Whereas earlier I just had it little written on loose sheets of paper, which I would use uh, to teach in a class. So in that sense, there's a benefit. You know, someday, uh, I don't know if, I will get to do it, but someday if an instructor wants to write a textbook based on a course they taught, this, this would come in great use. Or if they wanted to actually have an online or a distance learning course formally, then, you know, these are things that they could, they could use uh, there very quickly.
1: So. and uh, so considering your uh, opinions on online education how do you see this uh, say uh, in the near to f- uh, medium future like 5 10 years say internet becomes a utility everyone has it it becomes like uh, water water or anything else uh, again that's a big if but if it does uh, could you see uh, uh, any way where online education there would be a more universal adoption like uh, adoption of it uh, because again, like our generation thinks that it's going there, uh, so I just want to know if that is that is that diluted or not. And will that
2: will be that be a good thing or a bad thing? Because yeah. in between seems like the best option where you take the best of both worlds.
0: Right, right. I think I like in every kind of adoption of anything. I think it's always that the in between thing that ends up being what uh, ultimately. Maybe works best, and also ultimately what humans right. choose. Uh, so I mean, like you look at automobiles, it's it's very hard to have fully electric yeah. cars, and if you mm-hmm. want to change over, maybe hybrid technologies are. You know, it's a it's not really caught on in India. I'm not sure why, yeah. but hybrid cars are, are. I would say it's it's a best of both worlds kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, online teaching, I think also will will be somewhat like that. I think what will happen though is that. Uh, because of this pandemic and the, the you know, lockdown and the fact that everybody is trying to do things online, mm-hmm. we will be better prepared in the future such that maybe even government schools and so on will have the facility for some sort of online right. teaching, which I think I would imagine most government schools don't so have not... anything like yeah. that now. There are these VSATs and, you know, there's satellite courses taught through, I mean, there are these courses taught through satellite okay that uh, the government uh, conducts. I've I've never taken a course. I've not seen how right. it's done. Uh, and some government schools, I think, have access to this VSAT uh, platform. Mm-hmm. But I think that so things like the internet and things like that will become more routine in even some of the more remote uh, and disadvantaged right. areas. Uh, so if there is another lockdown, actually, when there is another lockdown, frankly, at this mm-hmm. point, there will be more pandemics to come. Okay. And uh, or other reasons, yeah. right? Uh, so we will then have the ability to quickly switch to an online mode. I don't see it replace uh, traditional teaching in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in fact, I will not be surprised if uh, after this whole online experiment that we're all doing right now, uh, most people want to get back to traditional teaching as quickly as possible <laughs> and realize the utility <laughs> of traditional teaching. So it actually may, it may slow down This craze towards doing everything online—it may may make people pause. That hey, you know, let's get back to human connections and and uh, those kinds of things. Uh, So yeah, it's it's very hard to say where it's going to go right now. Uh, You have the two extremes, and you have somewhere in between. I think it's going to go in between, and I think uh, this pandemic will help uh, people at least be prepared and have good online connections wherever everywhere that they're needed like a water connection or an electricity connection Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but i'm hoping people don't rely on that too much and substitute uh, you know traditional teaching or traditional forms of communication uh, with a wholesale online
2: it's interesting thought what the future will happen and when if if and when and how pandemics come again when you were a student, how would you think you would have dealt with the situation and your contemporaries when they were students, when you were young, if this had happened then?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, when uh, when I was young and when I was in school, we had these, whatever, 128 KB, 512 yeah. KB RAM mm-hmm. uh, computers. And dial-up like, modems. And, modems. And dial-up modem when I was, yeah, like in, in high school and oh, so on. Wow. <laughs> All right. So yeah. if we went online at that, let's, I mean, it's, I mean, I know, I know I, the question you're asking is if I were a student now, probably, but if uh, I, if I, yeah. I, but, yeah. If, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, when computers are first coming on, coming online in the late eighties and so on, I think it would have been very exciting to do anything on a computer. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I really think that uh, being a student taking online classes uh, and I've spoken to a lot of our students at Azim mm-hmm. Premji University. Right. Uh, most of them do not like it. They, really? Uh,
1: really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But if I ask them how our online class is going, they say it's fine. And the reason they're saying fine, if you dig deeper, is the the other option is that there are no <laughs> classes and there's yeah, no connection, yeah. and they can't talk to their friends. They cannot talk to their instructors. There's nothing happening, and they're bored. So compared to that, doing online, of course, is a, a huge improvement. But uh, if you dig deeper, most of them don't find it ideal. They, they are unable to engage with the material the way uh, they engage with it in the classroom. Uh, so I think if I were a student, I, I would, I, and I've thought about this, I, I'm, I, as a teacher, I'm really not liking it. Uh, but at least as a teacher, when I'm teaching an online class, I'm fully engaged. Because mm-hmm. I have to teach it and I have to figure out ways to make students understand things. Yeah. If I were a student, I think I'd be quite bored. Frankly, I'd be dead bored <laughs> in an online class. It's very hard for an instructor to also be very dynamic in an online class, yeah. right? Yeah. I realize as an instructor when I'm teaching in a classroom, how much I walk around, how much I write, how much physicality there is in teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much kind of... gesticulations and all of that. Yeah, yeah. How much moving around... Student may say something, I may actually walk up to the student, I may, you know, so there's a lot of like motion and movement. In an online class, it's uh, very hard to have that kind of motion and movement. And I think for students, that motion and movement in a real class is kind of entertaining and keeps Mm -hmm. students awake and they're constantly, their eyes are constantly following you. In an online class, it's just way more dull, right? It's just dull uh, comparatively. Mm -hmm. So I think as a student, I would really not enjoy an online class very much. And especially these online classes, we teach uh, classes for an hour long, uh, which actually is too long. Frankly, it's too long. Oh, really? Uh, Most, yeah, most students, I mean, and studies have been done on this. Most students can pay attention to something for about 20 to 25 minutes. That's true of all of us as well. And after about 20 minutes, we need a break. We need a change of pace. We need something in an online class that's very hard to do in a classroom what i typically do is after 25 minutes i give students a break i may then switch over to a demo i may then have them do an uh, you know a quiz right. or something like that so i'm constantly mixing it up in an online class mixing it up i'm finding it a little harder to do uh, so after an, you know 45 50 minutes of teaching the students are quite tired and bored and remember i'm teaching you know maybe six hours a week but yeah. students are taking about 18 hours a week of online classes Ooh, right yeah i'm teaching two courses yeah, right, right. students are taking each student is taking about five courses so their online load is like two and a half to three times more than mine yeah. and they're probably going back and re-listening to recordings or reviewing the videos so yeah it's, it's, I, think, I, I cannot imagine actually the psychological impact that it's having on the students. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interesting uh, medical and psychological studies that will come out yeah. of this whole online world that everybody is living in sure. right now. And even, even over a month, I think it can have some very adverse uh, impacts on students.
2: That's a great point because I wonder how the circadian rhythm is with so much of light bombarding them all the time. And how they feel with the screen always in front of them. must have... It's quite
0: interesting, to know, how how messed up they'll come out. Yeah, and then the fact that uh, a recorded lecture, they can listen to it at 1 in the morning Mm. or Mm. 3 in the morning. Or, you know, I mean, so it's... Yeah, this online thing is... Yeah, exactly. The circadian rhythms are probably completely messed up right now.
2: Yeah, and I'm also curious. If you put physics and a lockdown together or any pandemic, the first person that comes to my my mind is Isaac Newton and because of a plague when he was in university and you guys definitely know the story better than I would what all he was able to create are you excited to see maybe one of your students popping out with a new theorem on
0: physics or optics (laughs) Newton was Newton (laughs) and uh, the guy was uh, I mean eccentric for sure eccentric I mean he was motivated by alchemy I think that was probably and it's it's this is documented it sounds a little nuts but He was motivated so much
1: by alchemy that... Seven colors of the rainbow because he thought seven was a sacred number. So, like, he added indigo, even though indigo is basically blue. Right, so a lot of, yeah, a lot of things he was doing,
0: I think he was motivated by, like, creating gold and and doing all this magic. No, but I mean, seriously speaking, uh, there probably are some students who are using their time creatively. Uh, But the thing is, see, Newton, during those times, uh, 17th, uh, 18th century... There were probably no other distractions. So when he was at Cambridge and they had the plague and he went back home and it's part of legend, right? During that, uh, whatever, few weeks or months, the kind yeah. of creative output. Uh, yeah. So many of his... Uh, that was his Anis Metabolus. Exactly. But my guess is that he was he had nothing else to do. So that's what right. he did. But now students have all kinds of other things to do, right? So they're probably seeing the news and all the hysteria surrounding the pandemic. They're watching movies, they're watching other online things. Uh, And Newton was frankly a privileged guy, right? So he probably didn't have other home things to worry about. Whereas a lot of our students, uh, they're dealing with uh, parents who are out of work. Many of their parents are daily wage workers. Uh, they probably have to fend for themselves in terms of uh, getting food on the table every day so i i, I you know I think that uh, I feel that we are being a little unfair on many of our students having them take these online classes uh, because they have many other distractions and many other real things to kind of
1: um, also, I think physics has changed over the past 300 years, right? I don't think you can make a, a fundamental discovery in physics anymore. Uh, a single person, it's its difficult. Like you could uh, maybe uh, dot some I's and cross some T's in a particular field or something very niche. But a general theorem is going to be very, very difficult to, like something new, a new bit of physics is going to be very difficult to derive now uh, as a single person. I don't know if you'd uh, share that sentiment, Prateep.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think
1: that's that's kind of true,
0: Uh, though you know, if uh, yeah, we're not comparing with Newton, but what I'm, uh, but I think uh, maybe one way to rephrase your is your your question is, can students discover something for themselves? It may have been discovered before, but can they can they do something that is really very ingenious and really interesting? Oh,
1: that's totally possible, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, but I I still think that even that at this stage is is harder than it was. 300 years ago just because of the level of distractions and the kinds of diverse students and, and situations that these students are in right now.
1: Because if you look at people like uh, Newton and Cavendish, they were obsessed and they didn't give a crap about their physical health or anything like that. They just did, uh, they just were locked up and doing physics and that's it there and very little else to their lives. And it's not even uh, clear that that's a, a that's a standard that we should be aiming for at this point like from uh someone of my generation right it doesn't even seem like a realistic thing to aspire to
0: sure sure and some of those and some of those physicists actually had mm-hmm. everything else they needed right they didn't have to
1: fight course, for yeah. food
0: or they didn't have to you know worry about some of, some, some of the other day-to-day things because yeah. many of them were like lords and they were royalty or they were some form of, uh, you know, the elite. So, Prateep, I'm
2: just yeah. curious. Do online classes are they, I don't know if Azim Brain University has attendance for their classes. So, are these online classes mandatory?
0: Yeah, they are. So we oh, are. Okay. Yeah. So we have a pretty, pretty. Uh, I won't say stringent, but a pretty consistent uh, attendance policy. The reason is again, we believe that students will learn only if they are fully engaged. Absolutely. So, in fact, when we interview students, that's one of the questions we ask. I mean, that's one of the things we try and gauge. How engaged will the student be? Uh, It's not just coming to the university, getting a degree and then getting a job. We want students to be really fully engaged. And it's not being fully engaged doesn't mean that you only get, you know, A's uh, for grades. In fact, you know, I have very engaged students who may only get a C, but they were very engaged. I mean, they got a C because... Uh, you know, maybe they didn't do well in, a, in some of the assessments and so on, but at least they were thinking, they were engaged, they were involved. So, um, yeah, so that that level of engagement, I think, is 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 uh, is, is really what we're uh, looking for.
2: Just to add to what you're saying, on your students who aren't that, who are who don't who cannot afford to watch these lectures, do you feel that they're they're quite it's a disadvantage to them that You know, if they do not, if they're kind of in a catch-22 where they can't fend them, they have to fend for themselves to eat at the same time, keep up these lectures so that the education doesn't go down. It's very, must be incredibly stressful.
0: It's stressful. So, what we have done, yeah. So, I mean, talking about the attendance policy, we do take attendance. Uh, We have, uh, in fact, we sent our students a detailed kind of questionnaire asking about their, uh, you know, technology that they have at their hand. Uh, All our students, actually, all the students who are on scholarship, they all get university provided computers. So Mm -hmm. so every and other students are supposed to have their own computer. So all students have computers. Uh, Students who don't have reliable Internet connections or 4G connections, the university has actually ensured that they do uh, if 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 the reason is financial. Now, if the reason is that they don't have a cell phone tower or they have a bad internet provider where they are, uh, to to alleviate that problem, uh, what instructors like myself and many others, what we're all doing is we will uh, email them uh, the material. And once the lockdown is uh, partially removed, at least, we will also be able to mail them the physical copies of our notes and other kinds of materials.
1: On a flash so, drive or something.
0: Yeah, on a flash drive. Uh, Stuff like that. So, stu- so for the th- there are a handful of students who have uh, technological difficulties because of poor connection, because of uh, devices they're using, and so on. Uh, and we are making full accommodations for them. They are, really yeah, they are at they are at a disadvantage, right? And that's the reason why uh, we are trying to go easy on them and trying to uh, you know figure out how we can uh, make make their learning more. Uh, meaningful. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly one of the pitfalls of online classes that I was talking about earlier, which is this unequal access to technology. Uh, So many of our students, uh, I mean, it's hard to, I I found it hard to believe, but uh, when you see it, it's not. Many of our students, they come out of high school, uh, when they're given a, when they get that university computer, that's the very first time in their lives that they have actually opened a computer and typed on it or done anything with a computer okay you would imagine that in the 21st century there are no 18 year olds who have not used a computer but
1: exactly i mean going back to the initial part of the conversation we were having because of the universality of how cheap computing is right it's it's basically almost as cheap as the sand that it was made from in some sense right like the the, sil- the silicon itself so but the thing is that there uh, are people there are yeah,
0: millions yeah, of yeah. indian students who have never seen a computer uh before they come to college so i mean that's the that's the level of inequality we're talking about right and this is uh, for some of those students this is their second semester so they've been using a computer only for about you know six seven months eight months uh so it's i mean it's 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 very very hard for uh, to to you know kind of address these issues we're trying and i don't know again i think we're just hoping that we can kind of meet students in person again on campus
2: mm-hmm. and this is an interesting place to be because even if you have a computer and if you're the most engaged person in your class and most engaged student even even in a first time city like bangalore there are a lot of problems with internet and communication at any time it can drop for whatever reason and it's not in your control everyone this is interesting how we're all even though we all love and believe in internet that the reality of it, it, it's not that consistent as going and
1: meeting somebody it's not a reliable I mean, we love the idea of the internet the egalitarianism that it could provide in theory is what we love it's it.
2: amazing but I mean, <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter even if you're sitting next to a Celta with a satellite uplink any point in time it can get disconnected and you have nothing you can do about it it's quite a strange reality to be in
1: yeah that's crazy Right, I think uh, that's about it. I mean, we have a few questions yeah. to ta- take us out, but I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, yeah. any message that you would like to put out there uh, in general, for, as uh, maybe to if you want to address it to students in particular, or just general advice that you'd like to give in these mm-hmm. times of lockdown?
2: <laughs>
0: uh, this is, it's it's hard, but I mean, yeah. I don't know. Apart from saying something like, this too shall pass, <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know. Right. Uh, what else you can say. But yeah, I mean, it's, I know, it's a a very hard time. But Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe as a scientist, the message that I can say is that, uh, at least I think that one should be very wary of the kinds of information that we are getting in this day and age from politicians, from Mm -hmm. uh, various other people. Uh, So evaluating data, understanding the science behind things, being able yeah. to make one's own rational conclusions and taking, right. you know, rational steps that are not some sort of extreme of any kind. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that is, is very important. So and, and again, I, given that I'm an educator, I feel that mm-hmm. appropriate education is the only way we can have a, a citizenry that can evaluate these very complex times in a rational way. And be and 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 uh, do something that is rational and not knee-jerk that's not extreme that mm-hmm. doesn't put you know millions of people to hardship uh, right. you know I, I think uh, that, that kind of scientific temper uh, and and also kind of a humane understanding of, of what's mm-hmm. going on is is very important and I think
1: also, would it help if politicians knew some basic? uh were more scientifically enlightened or more scientifically literate
0: yeah yeah of course I mean see I, and I think I think many uh, politicians many people have had science education mm-hmm. yeah. science backgrounds but yeah. uh, there the are many other factors at play in terms of how they react or act uh right. but I, but more than politicians I feel we as people uh okay. you know can can make important decisions based on science. And obviously that has to also go, and politicians politicians also have to kind mm-hmm. of imbibe that. I mean, if you look at, let's say, there are a lot of interesting articles doing the rounds about, for example, Germany's handling of the pandemic. And right. you've got, you know, Angela Merkel, who is uh, a nuclear physicist at the helm. So not yeah, only is right. she a scientist of, uh, you know, repute, uh, right. and so on but she's also a very humane and i think a very rational person and right. uh, you know the way germany has dealt with the crisis i'm not saying they've dealt with it perfectly mm-hmm. but you yes. can contrast that with let's say what's happening in america or yes, some other other countries where you yeah. have or or the uk actually uk is a good example uh you know places where demographically they're similar uh, in terms of development indices mm-hmm. they're similar but the outcomes yeah. are uh, proving to be quite different. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with kind of, uh, you know, trust in the government, trust in politicians, politicians who are taking expert advice, mm-hmm. who are doing things in a rational and scientific manner. I mean, I think all those awesome. things are very important. So maybe, I don't know, so became a very long message, but something along <laughs> those lines.
2: I mean, I, I think of similar ways. Healthy skepticism is it's not needed. It's, a, it's mandatory.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think that after this, epidemic, this pandemic, we'll be able to handle
0: future crises better or worse?
2: As our, this is the first huge thing our generation is actively dealing with.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I read about uh, they've done all these pandemic simulations over the last mm-hmm. 15, 20 years. Um, the WHO, all these countries, CDC. I, I mean, they've been collecting data. I think they, everybody predicted that this was going to happen. Yet yeah, yeah. the response seems a little chaotic. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm assuming that our handling of the next crisis will be better. But how yeah. much better, who knows? And how much better, I think, really depends on the fallout of this current pandemic. You know, mm. What are we left with at the end? Are we going to have uh, democracies with uh, rational leaders and uh, rational, uh, humane uh, citizenry or are we going to become more extreme after this and become more inward looking and become more close-minded mm-hmm. i don't know i think the answer to your question lies in how we deal with our current pandemic and the fallout of it
2: which will which will only see after years and years after this gets over yeah is exactly. Very measure
0: yeah uh, very exactly how is yeah. your
2: daily behavior and diet and media consumption changed that's something we're asking everybody
0: <laughs> oh, okay yeah I can tell you, man, I've been, uh, one thing that keeps uh, us excited as a family is cooking. So, (laughs) we've been cooking up a storm uh, where we live, thankfully. uh, Some of the uh, specialty stores also are open. So, we've been making like pizza and this and that. Oh, are you serious right now? Yeah, so baking a lot. And honestly, I think, again, I feel bad saying this, right, because uh, we are highly privileged uh, and whatever pretty much whatever I want to buy is just around mm-hmm. the street uh, right. street corner. So yeah, so I, I would say that we're cooking very well, very healthy, uh, you know, really enjoying that uh, that experience of uh, of cooking and, and, and eating a lot. So in that sense, uh, food wise, it's actually gotten a lot better. There's also a lot more time to cook. Media consumption, frankly, we don't have a TV at home. Uh, wow. which i'm very wow. thankful for uh, i would not. Yeah. Uh, yeah i would, yeah, I would say that
2: yeah yeah in today's world the tv internet is much is good good enough than tv you get everything true, 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 yeah i
0: would go crazy just seeing all these channels so oh, i mean yes. media consumption has basically been the same newspapers uh articles mm-hmm. that uh, i seek out on new york times or other uh, kinds of publications uh, mm-hmm. try and get some bit of local news through hindu or uh, other yeah. things i mean media consumption has not really changed a whole lot i am kind of tracking the progress of this virus so i'm plotting the exponential growth and
2: really how, so yeah, yeah. Oh. can you give so, us some early results
0: well what, i mean in india, in india for example very early on there was pretty high exponential growth okay, uh, okay. and right now the last uh, i would say 10 days or 12 days the growth has kind of uh, is is linear so i'm just talking okay. like mathematically if you fit it to sure a line, sure the fit yeah, is yeah. quite good.
1: Uh, so, uh, so here's the thing. Uh, so, when uh, I I have looked at uh, I, and I've been playing this game as well, and uh, there are many uh, uh, online websites that track the uh, and graph it. So, my concern with all of that is the reliability of the data. Yeah, that would be um, my question as well. Yeah, because of the number of tests test kits available in India, right? right? Like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, that's very important. But the thing is, yeah. one
0: one proxy for. For that yeah. is to also look at the number of deaths. Now, mm.
1: let's ah, let's right.
0: assume that the number of deaths are being reported. Uh, I won't say accurately, but uh, right. the number of deaths yeah. are not being. Uh, it, it's it'd be very hard to un, you know under report, report deaths. Yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah, or under report, especially of like uh, dying of coughing. Yeah, like yeah. or under but reporting it, grossly. Yeah.
0: So if you plot yeah, the number right. of deaths also. Uh, It -hmm. was rising exponentially and the last about 10 days, they've been linear, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. it kind of follows the trend of the number of infections, which I think is a reasonable proxy for uh, the kind of sampling that we are doing. But Mm -hmm. obviously, I mean, a very very recent uh, study that they did in New York City, where they randomly tested 3000 people and found that one in five of them had been exposed to the virus much larger than then. the than the number of cases in New York City, right? Which would mean something like two and a half million people have exposed been exposed.
1: but asymptomatic, basically.
0: Mm. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Well, so if you look at those kinds of numbers and uh, extrapolate to, let's say, the, I, I mean, in India, um, I wonder if one in five have been exposed. It's okay. highly possible because yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we may be social distancing in some of these uh, very large uh, residential yeah. neighborhoods but uh, I don't know how good the social distancing is in more congested. Uh...
1: Yeah, I can, t- I can tell you for a fact mm-hmm. that when, um, when Modi announced the lockdown, all, uh, all of these, uh, every shop in my area was flooded with people just trying to, uh, all coughing next to each other, just piled up and I was like, wow, this, uh, I know this is the best thing to do, but this is just, yeah, there must be a better way. Yeah. I
2: can I I can now understand why you predict even even rashly that there'll be another lockdown yeah. coming up. It doesn't seem yeah. like this is a smart move.
0: Exactly. So if <clears throat> so, on May third, if you remove the lockdown, mm-hmm. now there, there are two ways. Right. One is that the rate of inf- infections will again jump into the exponential yeah. mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is that during this time, it's possible. I mean, it's a it's a slim chance, but it's possible that a large group of the population 20 30 percent mm. have already been exposed to the virus so this herd immunity has already started right. building up and uh, the mm. rise the exponential rise may not be as fast as uh, what you may believe if you just assume that there have been twenty four thousand cases right. in india yeah right yeah. so so i but i would still say that i think the lockdown Removing the lockdown, there is going to be no rational justification. It, it's just exactly. looking at the data. Once you've gone yeah. into lockdown and put millions in yeah. hardship and uh-huh. done all kinds of stuff, now you assume that that hardship is that these people will have to deal with it and the government will have to somehow help them out a little bit. Uh-huh. But uh, then there is no rational reason to remove the lockdown until the number of daily infections start coming down significantly.
1: And uh, mm-hmm. just just to play devil's advocate, I think there is an economic reason to remove the lockdown for sure because yeah I was going to mention that but it's a little
2: tough yeah. place to be because you're asking people to suffer for a good uh, their lives and yet at the same time ask asking it's 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 a very it's a it's a razor's edge at this point of what decision is the right decision sure on but such once a scale. you
0: put the lockdown in place mm-hmm. then you have already kind of, yeah, I'm just saying, balance. rationally, you would have had, you yeah. would have thought that, okay, I'm going to lock it down. So the economy is yeah. going to tank. Now, once you've taken that risk right. and that decision, then to bring the economic argument back and say, oh, because of the economy, we right. should remove it. Then if, it, hmm. if the economy was the reason, then you should have never gone into a very stringent yeah. lockdown in yeah. the first place. Because if once you've gone into lockdown, you're kind of decided to take that hit
1: but I, th- I think that hit kind of magnifies as long as um, the m- more months we are yeah the, the
0: longer heads, it's yeah. closed down yeah 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 and absolutely. there's some people who take hit
1: much
2: worse than others and that shouldn't be a justification to kill everybody
1: <laughs> no 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 it's, it's, it's hard it, on it's both absurd. sides right yeah we're not talking about like scrooge mcduck getting more money prana we're talking about like <laughs> you know daily workers being able to no, no absolutely
2: absolutely so every day is trouble for everybody Everyone's suffering unitedly, and that's interesting. Okay, so we have, we do this thing because this is a question Kailash came up with. As we're in a desert island situation, lockdown, we're all confined to ourselves. Which, what are the three things you'd carry to a desert island? Namely, a book, a song, or yeah, what would you carry in this situation? What is your, if you had no other thing to consume?
1: Like like an object, something you'd like, a book, an album, whichever. Yeah, one of all of these. Uh
0: Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would basically, uh, def- I've actually learned uh, music for many years, uh, Hindustani and Carnatic music. So mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. probably take at least a few of my music books with me because that would keep me busy for a lifetime in terms of oh, wow. practicing okay. songs and, and singing and, and so on. Yeah. Okay, so. And and, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. and
1: it's here on a desert island. No one can hear you. Sir.
0: Exactly, so I can just belt it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'd probably take I know a Rubik's cube. You know, I I, I I'm I've, oh. I i have not looked online. Really, and I know finding the solution to a Rubik's uh-huh. cube must be quite straightforward if I look at an online algorithm. But right. uh, and I've not tried uh-huh. seriously because I've not had right. the time to solve the Rubik's cube. But I'd probably just take a Rubik's cube with me because mm. I could just sit on an island and and figure it out and then
1: right. You want one of the, like the fancy ones, the more complicated Rubik's, like the huge one, or you're talking about the simple 4-4, four, 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 oh, no. I mean 3-3. Three, three, yeah,
0: actually, maybe 3-3 yeah. three, three or a 4-4 four, four or something yeah. like that. Yeah. The other thing I can think of is probably take a, a Go set with me, the the oh, game. Oh, play Go. Yeah, just play Go. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're saying that I can only take a few things, then these are things that I think will keep me occupied for a very long time. In terms and of, what about, yeah, in terms of yeah. reading, I mean, yeah, again, hard. Because That's a tough question. I'd basically read it in a couple of days, and then and then what? So it has to be something that I would want to read over and over and over again. So right. I don't know. Maybe something a little complicated. Maybe collected works of Shakespeare or something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really, I was betting
2: on the what? Calculus day by Newton. I can't oh, pronounce yeah. that.
1: What? Uh, F- uh, Principia. Oh, Mathematica. Principia Mathematica. Oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or maybe something like that, like take a book of integrals and just try and solve each one of those integrals. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, would you play Go with like AlphaGo or something? Because you're alone on this desert island, so who are you going to play yeah, so Go with?
0: You can just play it by yourself, you can play it play against yourself. Oh, right? you can, okay, so, I
1: did not know yeah. that. I've yeah, never yeah. played. Yeah, part. I mean,
0: it's like chess. Okay, like chess okay. okay. Yeah.
1: right, right.
2: I have no idea what Go is,
0: okay, okay, this, okay. Yeah, G-O-H, it's an amazing game. It's actually, the, if you look at all the permutations and combinations and the solutions to the game, uh, huh? You know, orders of magnitude
1: more than chess. Oh, okay. Chess is, I think, 10 to the 120, which is already more than the number of particles in the universe. And then this is more than that.
0: I this think. is more than that. So, Go is like yeah. that ultimate game where, uh, yeah, the possibilities are just essentially infinite. I mean, yeah.
2: Sorry. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it reminds me of back. I mean, the first time I looked at it with the tiles, okay, okay, very interesting. Mm-hmm well i mean this is an uh, from this conversation this is an incredible point of view that you've given us and i'm really great i'm really glad that you have a chance to interact with your children and show them what drove drove you to become a physicist and specialize in optics by showing them night the sky yeah yeah yeah
0: hey thanks it was fun we had a thank nice you for conversation being on pranav and thank you for it yeah thank you thank you
1: so much okay yeah, yeah. yeah. bye bye Bye-bye.